0: As we journey through life, there's nothing that makes life move quite as smoothly as having at least one good friend as we make that journey. And if you look back over your life, hopefully you can identify at least one, if not several friends that have helped you in the various stages of your life or different stages. Often what Happens to us is we're at one place in life and we'll have a good friend. Maybe you're in high school, we look back on those days, and then you transition to a different place in life and that friend's no longer there. They may have moved, you moved, things changed, whatever. And there's that sense when you make that transition that, man, I'm never going to find another friend like that friend. And yet, in that different transition in life to that different place, You come across a new friend is maybe somewhat different from the other one, but they just fit where you are at that place in life perfectly. And you fit where they are in life, and so the transition is a transition, but you continue in that journey of friendship with a different person. I know when I was coming along, I had some good friends when I was in high school. Didn't think anybody could ever replace them. And then I got to college and made some really dear friends in college that were just perfect for that time in my life. And those transitions had just sort of continued. But that's sort of where the disciples were with Jesus. Jesus had walked with them for three and a half years. And they had spent all kinds of time together. And they had gotten super attached to Him, Him to them. And Jesus knew that crucifixion was coming, the resurrection, and then He was going to ascend to the Father. And he knew that one of the big questions those disciples were going to have is, once he's gone, how in the world are we going to continue? Nobody can take his place. And so what Jesus does is he sets the disciples down the night before he's to be crucified, and he begins to tell them about the Holy Spirit and to say to them, this is who's going to take my place. This is the next friendship you're going to have. And he is more than adequate to do the job and I want to tell you how he's going to be adequate to do the job. So if you turn with me in your Bibles to John's Gospel chapter 14. John's Gospel chapter 14. We've been looking since the first of the year at the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the life of the church from the book of Acts. Now through Easter we're going to look rather at the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the teaching of Jesus. What does Jesus show us and teach us about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in particular as He is preparing His disciples for the crucifixion and then His ascension to the Father? And he's going to, we're going to move in a little bit different light looking at the teachings of Jesus here and how He's preparing the disciples to live without Him physically being there, but how He's also preparing them to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, and we're going to begin with verse 15. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, and the literal Greek text there is, if you keep on loving me, if you're going to keep on loving me, you will keep my commandments. So Jesus is saying the way we demonstrate that we love him is by keeping his commandments. But none of us is capable in and of ourselves, by ourselves, of keeping His commandments. I mean, we try, but we tend to blow it mess it up. So how do we get that done? Beginning with verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you ...and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments, and keeps them... He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit here, verse 16, as the helper, and that could be translated in several different ways, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Notice some things that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, he says, I'm getting ready to leave you, but I'm going to give you another comforter or another helper. Now the word that's translated another means another of the same exact kind. And what Jesus is trying to say to the disciples and he's teaching us is that the Holy Spirit is going to operate and work in your life just the exact same way that I have operated and worked in your life. Everything that i brought to your life, the Holy Spirit of God is going to bring to your life. The power, the glory, the love, the healing, everything that I have been in your life, I'm going to place the Spirit of God into your life, and He's going to be just like I am. I remember when I was a boy, and I was reading the, through the New Testament, I read about the miracles of Jesus, and the teaching of Jesus, I used to think... Man, what it would have been like to have been one of those disciples, to have been able to be there and to listen to him teach and to watch him heal and to be the recipient of what he was doing, what it would have been like. And I used to think, you know, I I almost feel like I'm sort of cheated out because I'm not able to, to be there. Well, what Jesus is teaching us here is we got it just as good as the disciples do. He said, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit who is another that's just like me. So everything that I've been in your life, guys, the Spirit of God is going to be. We're not living below what the disciples were living. If anything, we can live at their place and even at a greater place because of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Notice verse 16. By the way, my sermon outlines in your bulletin so you can make some notes as we move through this. Verse 16, he says, the Spirit is going to be with you Forever. There is no end to His ministry. There is never a day, never an hour that you and I have to live in inadequacy because the Spirit is with us. Verse 17, He says He's the Spirit of truth. Twice in this passage, He refers to Him, the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit of truth. The idea that He teaches truth. He defends truth. He leads us into truth. Remember what Jesus said about truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth Shall set you free. So, when you and I are living and moving in the teaching ministry of the Spirit, when we are living in the fullness of the Spirit, He is going to be freeing us so that we live and walk in freedom. Verse 17, it says, The world cannot receive Him. This world is helpless to know God, to understand God. We get God all messed up and confused when we do not live in the truth and the ministry. Of the Holy Spirit. But he says the world cannot receive him. We can only receive him as Jesus gives him. Verse 17. It says you will know him. Now the word know there. Is a Greek word. That doesn't just mean. Intellectual knowledge. Jesus is not saying. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of intellectual knowledge. So you can know about the Holy Spirit. It is the idea of knowledge by experience. You can know him. By experiencing him. So you will know the Holy Spirit's power by the experience of His power. Verse 17, it says, He dwells with you. He dwells with you. Now forgive me for a moment, I need to digress into a short lesson of New Testament Greek here in which this passage was originally written to to grasp what He's saying here. The word that's translated in our English Bible is dwell is in what's called the timeless presence in Greek. And this is the idea of it. First of all, it's timeless. He's going to dwell in you every day. He's going to dwell in you forever. There is no end to His dwelling. But it's always going to have a present tense about it. In other words, you don't have to live talking about what the Holy Spirit used to do. Like He didn't do it anymore. You don't have to live talking about what we hope and plan and pray the Spirit is going to do someday. He is timelessly present. He is as much present today and at work today as He was yesterday, and He will be as much at work tomorrow as He is today and He was yesterday. Timelessly present. Now, what does that mean for us? And remember, we talked about this, that everything that God talks about when He talks about the work of the Holy Spirit is not just for individuals. It's even more focused on the church. One of the tendencies that we tend to have, particularly those of us who've been around for a few decades, if we're not careful, we like to talk about what God used to do, how great it used to be how the Lord used to work and used to move. And we use all these past tense verbs. And after a while, we lose any expectation of what God's going to do today or what God's going to do, do tomorrow. And we talk about everything like God did it yesterday and He couldn't do anything new today if He wanted to. But the timeless present ministry of the Holy Spirit means that the Spirit of God is at work as much in 2018 as He was in 1918, as much He was in 1818 or 1718, and we learn the lessons from the past, but we do not live with any less expectation of what He will do. You see, the issue is not that God's not at work. We're just not discerning what He's doing. We're not in touch with what he is doing. This past week we saw the homegoing of Dr. Billy Graham and I remember growing up as a boy and people would say Billy Graham's on tonight, Billy Graham's on tonight and in our house that meant that when Billy Graham came on at 8 o'clock at night everything else in our house stopped at 8 o'clock at night. And we watched Billy Graham. And I've joked that, you know, when he got finished preaching, if you were saved, you got saved again just for the sake of it. You felt like you needed to get right with God no matter what. And God had his hand on Billy Graham and used Billy Graham in a powerful, powerful way for many decades. But there's been a question over the last few weeks that with his death, an era has ended. Well, the era of his life and his ministry on this earth Yes, has ended. But the era of the work of the Holy Spirit has not ended. And we do God a tremendous injustice when we say because a Christian leader or a certain era of the church's life has passed that it's all over and done with. It may be that an earthly journey has finished for a Christian leader, but the work of the Holy Spirit of God continues. Do you realize that God was working through people before Billy Graham was ever born? And God will be working tomorrow when we've passed off the scene? What we need to do is not concentrate so much on individuals and on certain eras, but concentrate and look for and pray for and expect the work, the ministry, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But let me give you one idea. When you read through Scripture, God doesn't do stuff the same way over and over again. He loves to change stuff up. We get all tore up about, because you know God's not doing it the way He used to do it, or things aren't happening the way they used to happen. We're not doing church the way we used to do church. God is so creative. Look at nature. He didn't just create oak trees. He got oaks and pines and poplars and the whole bit. When God works in His church, when God works through His people, he does it with creativity, and our job is to discern the creativity of God and move with Him. Notice verse 18. He says... That the Spirit of God is going to be, verse 17 I should say, where? In you. Where is the Spirit? In you. Say it with me. In you. Now the reason I'm emphasizing this is because we don't need to pray for the power of God. We need to pray for a release of the power of God that's already inside of us. I don't need to pray for the power of God to come down. The power of God came down at Pentecost. I need to pray for a release of the power of God by the Holy Spirit that's already inside of me. Same thing with knowing the direction and leadership of God. I got an iPhone like a lot of you all have got. And I got Google Maps on my iPhone. In my iPhone, when I get in my car, I've got everything in my phone to go wherever I need to go, even if I don't know how to get there. If I just operate the phone correctly. Now, granted, that takes a miracle from God for me to operate the phone correctly. But if I will operate the phone correctly, hit the Google Maps and bring it up and hit the right buttons, etc., I can go basically wherever I need to go. I don't need to leave my car... I don't need to go to AAA and get a map. Got it right there on my iPhone. And folks, the Holy Spirit of God is like God's Google Maps or internal GPS that He has placed inside of us to know and to understand and to live the will of God. When we talk about, I need to know the will of God, our church needs to know the will of God, it's not like it's way up in heaven somewhere and we got to pull it down. We've just got to get in touch with the Holy Spirit of God who is inside of us. And when we do, He will begin to show us and teach us and lead us where the will of God is. Notice what He says in verse 18 He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, desolate, helpless. I'm not going to leave you out on the street. He says, I'm going to come to you. The insecurity that we so often struggle with in our relationship with God is due to two things. Satan's lies. The Lord's not there. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. Or we're just not listening to the Lord. If I'm not listening to him say, you belong to me. I've placed the Spirit of God in you. I'm going to feel like an orphan and act like one. But if I'm listening to the Spirit of God He's saying you belong to me I am in your life you are precious to me I'm right here beside you. Now notice in verse 16 He says the Holy Spirit is going to be another just like me helper. If you look in your notes in your bulletin that word helper can be translated basically three different ways. It's got three nuances of meaning. Advocate, revealer, and comforter. So let me go through those. First of all The idea of him being our advocate. It was a word that was taken from the forensic world of that day, and this is how it worked. In Greek culture, when you went into a court of law, it was very characteristic that you brought along what was called an advocate or a paraclete, which is what the word that's used here, Jesus uses here. Disciples would have understood what he was saying right off the bat. This helper that stood with you in court would either have been a very close friend or they would have been what was called a legal assistant. And they would have stood with you in court and they would have spoken on your behalf to the judge in the courtroom. And that person was called your paraclete, translated your helper. Now let me sort of take the Greek courtroom and translate it into how it functions in our legal system let's say that you are brought up on charges and you are guilty as charged okay you got a bunch of felonies against you and you are guilty as charged and you go into the courtroom and you cannot afford an attorney so in the American legal system they're gonna assign you an attorney so you're gonna get a defense attorney to work on your behalf so you walk into the court you stand there before the judge, you got all these charges being read against you. as the old saying goes, "You up to creep without a paddle, and you need a defense attorney, and you cannot afford a decent defense attorney, so the judge says, "I'm going to assign legal counsel to you. This attorney is going to become your attorney." That's sort of the idea here of the advocate. Now this is what Jesus is saying, and I want you to catch this. And sort of roll around in it for a while, okay? He's saying that we appear before the judgment seat of God. And God looks at us and he says, you are guilty. Start reading off the sins. None of us enjoys hearing that. He starts reading off the sins. And we have to say, I plead guilty, I plead guilty, I plead guilty, I plead guilty and I want to run out of this courtroom, and I want to run out of the presence of God. And then God says, I'm going to assign a defense attorney to you. Now imagine being in a courtroom, and you've heard about this defense attorney who is the best defense attorney you can get your hands on. He is known for winning every case, and that's who they assign to you. And God says, I am assigning to you to come by come beside you to stand with you before me in this court, in my presence, the Holy Spirit. Listen to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. Catch that last part of it. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, folks, this is what he's showing us. And don't miss this. We stand in the presence of God, guilty of every charge that is brought against us. And God assigns the Spirit of God to stand there as our defense attorney in the presence of God. Couldn't ask for God to give us anyone any better And the Spirit of God says, Father, they are guilty as charged. There's no doubt about that. But I want to plead on their behalf, and this is what I want to plead on their behalf, that every sin that they are charged with, that they are guilty with, has been nailed 2,000 plus years ago to the cross. Every sin. And your son took their sin, took the punishment for their sin, took everything that he had to take for their sin, and they are now innocent not because of what they did, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. And three days later, Jesus, your son, rose from the dead to sign, seal, and deliver their innocence. That is what the Spirit of God says. So the next time you go into the presence of God and the devil gets up on your face and says you're too sinful for God to listen to you, stop listening to the devil and yourself and start listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying in the presence of God to the Father. That is the idea of him being our advocate. Next, he is the revealer of Jesus. John chapter 15 in verse 26 John chapter 15 in verse 26 but Jesus teaching here but when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father notice this next phrase he will bear witness about me he will bear witness about me. Jesus is saying, I'm going to send the helper to you, the Holy Spirit. Spirit of truth again. He's going to teach you truth. And what's He going to teach you about? What's He going to focus on? He says He's going to teach you about me. He's going to bear witness about me. In other words, this term witness means He's going to look at me, He's going to experience me, He's going to learn everything He can about me, He's going to take all that I am and He's going to turn around and He's going to bring it to you, He's going to teach it to you, He's going to reveal it to you, He's going to show it to you, and you are going to experience me through His ministry. He is the revealer. He's going to develop a relationship between you and me. That is His task. Folks, I want to submit to you that I believe that, Jesus, that the Spirit's ministry of revealing Jesus to us is the most, perhaps the most needed ministry of Jesus we have, and at the same time, it's often the most ignored ministry that He has. Because we come to the Lord and we say, I want you, Lord, to forgive me of my sin, and I want forgiveness. And, Lord, I need you to clean up this mess, I need you to clean up that mess, and God, would you come in and clean up my messes for me? God, would you get me out of this jam? But we never stop and say, Spirit of God... Would you teach me about Jesus? Would you show me more about Jesus? Would you help me to experience more of Jesus? Would you help me, Lord, to to just be more in love with Jesus? My grandmother was a great cook. And she had some specialties like all grandmamas have. She made a coconut pie that I mean just to smell that thing would make your mouth water. And then when you sunk your teeth into it, oh, it was something else. She could fry chicken. Mmm. I could have a meltdown thinking about her, fried chicken. And she made the best coleslaw I've ever put in my mouth. I mean, she just knew how to do the coleslaw. When my grandmother died... Because these recipes and the family tradition of eating these recipes was so important, we made sure that we got her recipe box and we kept those recipes. And if you pull those recipes out, you'll see all the ingredients. You know, that pie, the eggs, the flour, the coconut, uh, etc., that went into that pie. So you read those. But if you just sit there and read the recipes with the ingredients... I mean, it gets you excited, and you enjoy it, and you think, man, I bet this thing really tastes good. But listen, nothing is going to taste... Reading the the list of all the ingredients doesn't take the place of eating the pie. I I sit there and read ingredients all day long and get excited about it, but it doesn't take the place of eating the pie. And sometime after she died, someone in our family took... The recipe, and made the pie, and I couldn't wait to get into the pie. I got to relive what it was like. And I had a lady when I was pastored in Powhatan. I don't know how she did it, but she had a coconut pie taste so my grandma was. And the first time I was at a senior adult event, and I bit into that pie. I almost started crying because it was like, oh, this is my grandma's coconut pie again. Let me. Now, why am I telling you this? Let me tell you this. <laughs> Getting me ready for lunch now. <laughs> And one of the reasons I'm telling you this, if any of you ladies out there like the recipe, you can make me a coconut (laughs) pie, you know. (laughs) I'm just joking. (laughs) The Holy Spirit, first of all, is going to show you the ingredients of who Jesus is. He is holy. He is the love of God. He is the manifestation of the glory of God. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the fairest of 10,000. He is the bright and the morning star. I mean, you name it, and that's Him. You can take Genesis and go through Revelation and point out every place and who He is. He is the Creator in Genesis. Genesis. He is the song of David in the book of Psalms. He is wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And he is our coming king of kings in the book of Revelation. He is the sacrificial lamb of God in the book of Hebrews. He is our father in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and we are his child. He is our peace in the book of Philippians, and on it goes. He is the leader of the church in the book of Ephesus. He shows us all the ingredients of who the Lord Jesus is, but the Spirit of God doesn't stop there because the Spirit of God says, this is who He is, but now I want you to understand Him and I want you to experience Him. Bite into Him, so to speak. Don't just talk about His love. Know what it is in the depth of your soul to be embraced by Him and held by Him. The Spirit of God comes along of us and says, don't just know what it is for Him to be peace in Philippians. Know what it is to live in His peace and walk in His peace. Let Him become your King of kings and your Lord of lords. Let you know as you study the book of Romans what it is to be set free from your sin and that Jesus took all the sin on the cross. Experience who He is. He's not just giving you information. He's giving you experience. And listen, folks, if we stop with the information, we go home and we stay the same. But if you will allow the Spirit of God to cause you to experience who Jesus is, it'll set your soul on fire. It'll put joy in your heart. It'll get you through the tough times and take you to the next day because Jesus isn't Jesus just to know info about him. Jesus is Jesus to know him, love him, be embraced by him, and experience who he is. He's the advocate. He's the revealer. And finally, verse 16, he is the comforter. He's the one that's been sent in to help. The Spirit of God doesn't change reality. He doesn't deny reality. But the Spirit of God takes the sting out of reality. The Bible says, O death, where is your victory, O grave? where is your sting? The Holy Spirit takes the sting out. He's not going to take reality away and He's not going to enable us to live in a denial of reality, but He takes the sting out of reality. You see, the reason so often we deny reality and we run from reality and we don't want to face things is because that that sting is there. That pain is there. That that thing, it it just stops us cold in our tracks. And what the Spirit of God does is He says, we're going to face this, and we're going to face this together, but I'm going to take the sting out so you can face it. It's going to be tough, not denying that. But I'm going to take the sting out so that we can face it together. One of the things that I've done through the years as a pastor when I conclude a graveside service is I try to go down through the family to the closest relatives And give each person a hug or put an arm around them as a way of saying, You're not alone. And I watch as I step back after those moments of how family and friends will gather around and put arms around them and say, You're not alone. Can't think of a worse place to be than by a gravesite alone. But you're not alone in this. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit as the comforter to come alongside of us in those excruciating, dark moments in life and to say, you are not alone. God is here. and God is with you. And you may just have to take life for a while one small step at a time because you're not up to taking a bunch of steps at a time, and God understands that. You're not up to running right now and jogging right now, and God understands that. But I'll help you take one step at a time. When my son was learning how to ride a bicycle, put him on the training wheels, and there came that day we took the training wheels off. And I steadied that bike until he could steady it himself. And when he got to that place, that he could steady it himself and keep it balanced. And I said, go for it. Didn't take him out there at first and say, okay, here, get on the bike and go for it. And he would fall on his face. We're going to take it one step at a time. And the Holy Spirit of God as the comforter says, you're going to ride through this, but I understand you need training wheels on for a while. Then it's going to come the day I'm going to take the training wheels off and I'm going to steady your life as you go out, and then there's going to come the time that you're going to be ready to go, and I'll tell you when that time comes, and you've got to believe me and trust me, and then we're going to let you start moving. But I'm going to be with you all the way, and I'm going to be cheering you on when you start launching on your own. Just listen to me and know that I am right there. And you see, when Jonathan finally started biking on his own, and he took off that first time, he did that knowing that we were right there as his parents. And the Holy Spirit, as our comforter, says, I'm right there beside you. If you close your eyes with me, bow your heads. I've talked about the Holy Spirit today as an advocate, the one who stands before the Father and pleads your cause. It says, The way is open to God the Father by the blood of Jesus, your sin is forgiven talked about the Holy Spirit as the revealer of Jesus, who teaches you about Jesus and causes us to focus on Jesus and experience Jesus. And we just talked to him about being the comforter, the one who walks with us and doesn't deny the tough times in life, but he does take the sting out. What I want you to do right now in silent prayer, if you need to experience him as your advocate and say, Jesus, right now, Holy Spirit, I need you to be my advocate before the Father and to plead my case before the Father God and to know forgiveness. Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I need to just see more of Jesus and experience more of Jesus. Oh Lord, I need to know the Holy Spirit is my comforter, the one who's taking the sting out of the reality that I'm going through right now. Advocate, revealer, comforter. In prayer, ask Him to be that to you and open up your life to receive that. With our heads bowed, these are brief moments together. May I encourage you, before this day is over, to get alone with the Lord and to continue the conversation with Him and let Him be what he wants to be and needs to be, and how he has placed himself in your life. And Lord, as the pastor of this church, I want to lead us in prayer to ask that Father the Holy Spirit would function among us and work among us as the revealer of Jesus. Teaching us, Lord, about you, but Lord, enabling us, powering us to experience Jesus in a deeper, richer, fuller way. Lord, that is our heart cry to you. Reveal the Lord Jesus. To us, I ask. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you are here today and you need to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, come to know Him as your Lord and your Savior. And as we sing in just a moment, I want to invite you to walk from where you are to where I will be here at the front by Sue so doing the Pastor, today I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to know Him. I want to follow Him. I want to serve Him. You're here and you feel like the Lord's leading you and guiding you to become part of our church family. We invite you to come. If you've been sensing and knowing the nudging of the Spirit of God in your life to go into the ministry and surrender to a call to ministry, and I invite you to indicate that so we can both rejoice with you and pray with you. If you need to come and pray, the altar here is open to do so. Father, I have your way with us in these moments we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. And stand together and come if you will.